0: Hello and welcome to the Landmark Theaters Q&A podcast. Today you'll hear a conversation with music legend Robbie Robertson of The Band about the new documentary Once Were Brothers, moderated by Nick Harcourt. This conversation was recorded at the Landmark in Los Angeles on the film's opening weekend.
1: Was that okay?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hello, everybody. I'm Nick Harcourt, and uh, Robbie Robertson is here. So we've still got the credits rolling behind us, but um, before we do anything, how did you enjoy the film? Let's start by talking a little bit about the inspiration for this movie which was when you decided to write the first volume of your your memoirs um, uh, testimony tell us a little bit about that when did you first think maybe it's time for me
1: to tell my story well I had uh, I had some writers over time come to me and say let me write uh, your story and I tried it I tried it two or three times, and at some point I said, you know, this, ah, this doesn't feel right, you know. The writing, it felt like somebody doing an impersonation or something of what I was, I I don't know. I couldn't feel what they were trying to do. And finally I thought, I'm going to have to do this myself. And I did have a sense that it was a lot of work, but it, is, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And after writing this book, then people came to me and said, we want to do a documentary based on your book. And so that's how this whole thing got stirred up.
0: When you started writing the book, as you said, people had tried writing it for you. Uh, originally, um, was it something that you'd been thinking of for a while? I mean, h- how long did it take you to to get around to to, to writing the book?
1: I don't know. Telling I just had story. other stuff to do, and I thought I don't want to tell my, you know. And I, you know, for a long time I thought I was too young. i was too wrong. you know. Like, oh my God, I'm going to write my story, and I'm, you know. But anyway. Uh, I finally caught up with that. I finally, and I couldn't avoid it anymore. So, um, but I had to go into the zone. I had to go to a place to write and recall and to tell these stories, you know, in the way that I would tell them. And it's just, it isn't winging it. And I actually wrote this book nobody else wrote it uh a lot of people say they write these books and everything but i actually sweated this out and uh and i'm really glad i did did you give yourself office hours
0: did you sit down for a certain amount of hours every day to write or did you give a concentrated amount of time how long did it take you to write the book
1: it happened over a period of time because i was i was working on other scorsese movies and i was making records and i was just doing many other things. So it wasn't like I could just go to the cabin in the woods and just write until I was done. Wasn't like that, I had to do it o- over a period of time. And, uh, and that worked out, actually, because I just found a rhythm. I found a way to, I think, to tell these stories in a very honest way, and, uh, and that didn't happen just, just like that. When you write a song, um, do you start with
0: something and then know where the middle is and know where the end is? I mean, is, what's the process for writing a book? Did you know the stories you were going to put in this book? Did you have a place where you were going to start and a place to finish?
1: It, it's always, uh, you know I think anyway, a process of discovery. You know, that you're, you, you, know you, you sit down and you think, I'm going to write a song, and uh, nothing happens. And then, when you've just about given up, you sit down one day and you put your fingers on that piano and something happens and you discover something. And it was the same feeling, the same feeling in writing the book. I'd sit, you know, and I would write something and I would be like, that's not what I want to say, or that's not the feeling that I'm trying to to share, to really get across. So, you know, like anything else, there's, you know, there's, you know, a process that is very much trial and error, but when it starts to roll, and when you start to think, I'm on it, I'm, you know, I'm feeling this thing, whether it's in music, or a book, or a movie, or anything else, you think, oh my God, I'm just gonna, I'm, You know, my feet aren't touching the ground. You're just going to ride it. You just ride it, yeah. So, so when it came time to
0: think about turning the, b- the book into a movie, uh, I think you said to me, we spoke about this a couple of days ago, that there were a number of people who came to you and said that they wanted to do the, the movie. Um, and I, I know that you talked to a few people and it didn't feel right, but then a young guy comes to you, Daniel, um, from Toronto, 24-year-old guy, and says, I'd like to do this. Tell us about that, how you guys connected.
1: You know, there's that gut feeling with somebody, and that you think, uh, you know, this, this doesn't sound right on paper. You don't, for, to tell a story of somebody that's been on a journey like me, you don't ask a 24-year-old guy to do it you know it's like what does he know what does he you know and uh and the people the producers on the film and everything they were like he can't do this he you know he doesn't know this period of time he doesn't understand this era he's got nothing in this to work with but i don't know what it is you just have a feeling you know and like i i i told you before When he said he was 24 years old, I thought I was 24 years old when I made music from Big Pink. Let's give this a whirl. So, you know. There's a
0: a moment early on in the movie where you mention that you think about Levon, Richard, Rick, and Garth all the time. Um, It's been a long time since the band obviously um and a lot of water under the bridge and w- towards the end of the move we we see some of the things that happened afterwards but when you say you think of them all the time give me an example of that i mean something happened during the day where something will trigger a mem- memory of being with the guys or one of them what do you mean when you say you think of them all yeah, the time it's just those
1: little reminders that something happens and it was like oh god i remember you know when when Rick said that, or when we went there together, things, you know, they're just constant memories. And we spent, you know, over 16 years of our lives in this brotherhood. And we went, we went to dangerous, crazy places together, and we survived. So you kind of think of, you know, these people, the, the guys in the band, and Bob Dylan too, it's almost like, we were war buddies you know i mean we went through hell and back together and actually figured out how to make it work and that's magical and when something is that enlightening in your journey you can't help but it just keep coming back to you and i just i have so many fond loving memories of what we did together that It feels good to go there. And while I was making this new record that I made, a cinematic, again, I sat down one day to write a song. And I had no idea what I was gonna do. I was just hoping, you know, like you always do, something would come to you. And I sat down and I started playing these chords and this melody came to me. And I wrote this song, Once We're Brothers. And it really was something celebrating and commemorating this brotherhood. And, and in the meantime, over here, they were making this documentary. So that's helped spur that on. And then with my other hand, I was doing the music for The Irishman. So there's some of that in the album, too. And the way all of these things started feeding off each other turned out, it, it's like I have never done that before. Usually you think, okay, I'm working on this, I'll put that over there. And this, I don't want to get confused, I want to concentrate on that when I'm doing it. All these things. This time I was just, I just opened my arms and I just pulled it all in, and everything you know, complemented and contributed to the other. And so, you know, at this stage of doing what I'm doing, I certainly in appreciate that kind of inspiration and enlightenment.
0: You were also working on compiling the band box set as well. So of this two-year period, your album, the, uh, the box set, the uh, the music for for the irishman and this film There's a lot of st- how did you manage all this stuff and
1: b- i'm and i'm writing volume 2 of my uh, memoir so uh, uh yeah it's been like it's one busy of the, guy. B- <laughs> the biz- yeah. busiest yeah. years of my life um and i don't know i think that's good medicine
0: let me let me ask you about the the process then o- of this movie obviously once you put da- Daniel Roman to uh, d- direct it, m- my guess is that he went out and started shooting interviews with the people we see on the, on the screen. But you also handed over uh, a treasure trove of, of material, right? Photographs, old films. Um, was it just a lot of stuff that you had? I mean, did you just throw it to him and say, good luck, see what's in there? Or did you know what you wanted him to dig out of your, uh, your collection?
1: Um, I didn't edit anything. Um I just, you know, said, Well, I've got this I've I, you know, I've got this story space and and I you know, my uh my son Sebastian, he has the key to it. So he uh you know he, he you know, he showed him where some of the stuff was and he went in there with such a curiosity and uh he came out with stuff that I had I hadn't thought of or remembered in so long. And that was kind of a joyous feeling too, so yeah.
0: And and you were hands off for the first 80% of this movie, right? You just sort of
1: let him go with it. I didn't want to micromanage it. Um, I was busy with all this other stuff too. I I couldn't micromanage it, you know. But uh, Jared Levine, my manager, he was kind of watching the store and making sure it wasn't going somewhere that he knew that I'd be like, well, well, what's that about, you know? And he he was feeling that Daniel, you know, his dedication and his hunger to do this really well was going somewhere. So anyway, we just, uh, I just got out of the way and thought, Do a good job. Where was the movie at when you saw the
0: first assembly? How how much of it was complete as to what we saw on the screen tonight? Well,
1: it was a complete rough cut. But a lot, a lot evolved after that. And then pretty soon, um, Imagine Entertainment came in to the fold with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. and, uh, And they... The, th- they came in. They had a good feeling about what Daniel was doing, but their experience and you know they're they're so good at what they do. They've made a few movies. They've made a few <laughs> movies, and so they also brought in people that they work with and helped raise the bar. And then there was a rough cut that Martin Scorsese saw and he said, "Whoa, I, you know, I think this is turning out really good. If you want me to help out on this, um, I'd be happy to." So then Marty started giving us some input, and then the the team, everything just started to glow and rise, and uh and we thought maybe we're onto something here. Are there any moments
0: in in the movie, any uh scenes that perhaps you hadn't seen for a long time or ever for that matter that struck
1: you when you watched that first assembly well it, it, there was no scenes that I, you know it, it it it's not like that that there's scenes but there was a lot of images and and things and and uh, there was a lot of um you know, really, really special moments and, and beautiful times, you know, uh, that uh, Dominique, you know, um, the, you know the, and she's so great in the film, and what she kind of lifted to a place too and helped remember. And talking about that period of time, um, you know, because we were living in my world but her background, you know, her sensibility to art and poetry and literature and music and everything from her culture, ended up being a fantastic, you know uh, a, a fantastic thing for me to grow from and learn from and embrace. and and so that was, Part of the magic that I remember quite a bit when we're watching this.
0: Yeah, when, when I said scenes, of course, I, I, I misspoke. I was really thinking about um, just bits of film, perhaps, that, that you hadn't seen for a long time. Some of the stuff from Woodstock, like th- the experimental movie that we see in there that, that, that you made. Um, other uh, uh, moments when, when you're in Big Pink, you know, the photographs of you guys uh, making those, those, those early recordings, if there was anything in there that you hadn't seen that perhaps struck you as like oh wow it's taking you back
1: i'll tell you something that maybe you don't recognize uh, in this this black and white footage that comes up and and it it's kind of telling a story of what's going on in the film and there are these guys in this film and the guy who's mainly in it is michael j pollard from Bonnie and Clyde, you know the, the this fantastic actor, and he lived up in Woodstock, and he was hanging out, and I was experimenting with this black and white. I got this great Boiu French eight millimeter camera, and I was experimenting, uh, uh, hoping I was going Im- to impress Ingmar Bergman at some point. But anyway, it's Michael J. Pollard and Leslie West from Mountain, and Mason Hoffenberg, who co-wrote Candy with Terry Southern. I mean, you couldn't put these names together in a dream, let let alone in real life. And they were just friends of ours, and were around, and were just game for experimenting. There's a moment
0: in the movie where you you talk about you realize that moment that you were in the middle of a a musical revolution. Can you talk about that a little bit more?
1: Well, I think that what I was referring to at that time is when we were traveling around playing all over North America and Australia and Europe and people were booing us every night and sometimes throwing stuff at us. And... And we were playing our hearts out. And Bob was, I mean, he was pouring it on. There was no energy left, you know, and, uh, outside. It was all just, p- and nobody, it seemed, wanted it except us. And, and it was going to take some time for this to connect. And in that kind of a process, you realize you're really going against the wind here. And this is what a musical revolution feels like. Because it went on to be tremendously influential and change the course of music history.
0: I I love that moment where you guys get in a car after a show, and, and Dylan's saying, Don't boo me. And then goes on to say, how come they buy the tickets so fast? Uh, It's it's almost like they were buying the tickets to come and see the revolution, but they didn't particularly like it. And obviously, um, you 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 had that experience twice, the first in in the States and then when you uh, did it it again in Europe and and came back. Um, There's another scene in the movie that really struck me when you're talking, and and I think you're sitting down... um, at the village, perhaps, and, and you're looking at your Martin guitar, and you talk about uh, Nazareth and how the weight came together. And I know I asked you about this just a couple of days ago, but you guys didn't hear it. I think it's just such a beautiful story of you not having that inspiration in the moment until you saw the word Nazareth. Take us through that again, if you don't mind. Well,
1: <laughs> it's, a, it again, you know, and in, in we keep coming back to this thing of In writing, you know it's like I say in the beginning of the film, it's such a blank canvas, and and you have no idea what you're gonna do, what you're gonna think of, and you just hope that something comes up, but you do look for some kind of a clue, something that'll spark it for you. And I was sitting there, and I was messing around, and nothing was coming, and I couldn't think of anything that I thought was you know, uh, worthwhile. And, and I was sitting there, and the guitar was sitting on my lap, and I saw inside the guitar, it says Nazareth. Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And I thought, wow, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. That's kind of like the Nazareth that we all know about in a biblical form, and, and I just wrote that line, I pulled into Nazareth, just because of that. And once I had that line, it just sailed off, and, uh, and I just followed it.
0: You also followed it with another great line, which was, I was feeling about half past dead, <laughs> which has got to be one of the greatest lines ever, I think. And I, I get the opportunity to say this when I, when I hang out with Robbie, that the wait for me is one of the greatest songs ever written. So I say that as a fan. <laughs> so we only have a couple of minutes left, un- unfortunately. But um, let's just uh, come up to date a little bit, I guess, M- move towards the end of the film, obviously, um, which is the, the last waltz. Uh, And you guys just all watched it, and I'm sure you've actually seen the movie as well. Um, But when you set out to do The Last Waltz, as as you say in the film, um, it wasn't meant to be the end of the band. It was just that moment in time where it's like, let's just stop. We'll do something really special, and then maybe we'll come back to it. Um, But you never did. Do you feel any regrets about that that you guys weren't able to to make music again?
1: Yeah, I did. And and I I really believed that in the last while we were just bringing our journey to the end of that chapter that we were really really just put it, getting putting the road aside. The br- the road started to feel like a very dangerous place at that time. And every time we went out there, it was all these c- kind of creepy people saying, hey, man, you want something? You come on over here. It was that feeling like, geez, this is like just walking into the devil's den or something. And, uh, and the idea was, let's not walk into the fire. Let's do something different. And we've had such an amazing journey on this. That was when it was 16 years. Let's bring this to a culmination in the name of music and these great friends of ours and artists and getting Martin Scorsese to direct this and everything. It just seemed like a beautiful celebration of of music. And then after that, some of the guys Wanted to make records and do other things, like Levon um, says in the film, um, and we were just waiting for some time to pass until everybody got some kind of fulfillment outside of, you know, being in this brotherhood all the time, and and we had a plan to come together and and talk about what we could do and what we wanted to do and what we needed to do. And we went for this meeting and I was the only one that showed up. And so I just thought at that time, I guess that's just the way it is and I'm gonna have to read the writing on the wall here. And, uh, and it finally, it took a while but it finally sunk into me that I guess it's not meant to be to continue, and everybody's doing stuff that they want to do and, l- and you know love to do, and so I'm going to have to let it alone, and so I had to let that dream just you know fade away.
0: Well, and clearly you've been very busy in the in the years between making records and obviously working in film uh, a, an awful lot, um, and I know that uh, you're working on another film right now. Um, but you mentioned there 's going to be another volume of your memoirs, and I, I presume you started on it by the sound of things yes
1: what's what 's the time period
0: you 're going to cover in
1: uh, in the next round you know i 'm not i 'm not positive yet i 'm just starting the story <laughs> when after I, I I wrote this book and it came out, and the publishing company was very happy the way it went it was a new york times bestseller and they you know, t- thought it turned out really good, and I thought, Whew, wow, got that done, and not too much time passed, and they said, you know, you can't write your story and have it end when you're 32. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, ay ay ay, here we go again. So anyway, I've, I'm, I am picking up the story, um, there, and. Um, and I'm I'm writing and I'm just feeling my way as I go along. And um and and I hope it's not as hard as last time, but I've got a feeling <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna hurt.
0: <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I wanna ask everybody before we wrap up, Robbie has to be somewhere, like literally right after this, so I'm gonna ask you to let him leave the uh leave the theater and they do have to obviously get another screening in here i think as well but uh robbie robertson thanks for listening to the landmark theaters q a podcast if you want to hear more conversations with filmmakers about the latest independent foreign and documentary films opening
1: at landmark theaters be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit our podcast website at LandmarkTheaters.Podbean.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel for videos of Q&As and other exclusive content. See you next time.